Welcome back to the Park Hills Podcast. This time we're going to talk about Psalms, the first books in the book of writings. So we'll talk about all that. In the meantime, if you've got questions or more that you want to learn about Park Hills or just jump into the conversation, some of the easy ways to do that is parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app. book in the Bible. The Psalms. With the longest chapter in the Bible. 119. Is going to be, it's a bear. I yeah. remember the first time I read through Psalms all the way through and I was, it just took forever. Yeah. I remember having to read it as an assignment <laughs> at Trinity and like sitting down and reading for hours, just trying to, you know, cause yeah. Cause you know, who paces themselves and reads a couple Psalms a day instead, let's read it all at once because it's due tomorrow. <laughs> I love, I love that admission that you just gave without really, you know, being super forthright with it, but it's due tomorrow. So you knew this for a while. You could have read oh, yeah. it for a while, but you did not. Yeah. So really, you know, we could talk about a ton of different things in the Psalms. We're going to deal with a couple of those this time and then, a, you know, a couple t- things in the next episode dealing with the Psalms as well. However, one of our goals in this episode is just to say, if you haven't noticed yet, the Psalms is broken into five different books. And there is a ton of debate, a ton of discussion about why that is, what's going on. But just to kind of break it down for you and to show you kind of where this heads. So Psalm 1 through 41 is book one. And uh, I'll come back to that in just a second and talk about that a little bit. Then Psalm 42 through 72 is book two. Then Psalm 73 through 89 is book three. 90 through 106 is book four. And then book five is 107 through 150. And there's a ton of different markers that seem to delineate this, but I wanted to start by just pointing out these are 150 different songs written over a number of centuries even that then are compiled by someone in the order that they're in, and they are trying to say something. The question is, in scholarship, is really what are they trying to say? And so there's been some major leaps to try to decide what's what, and everyone kind of disagrees on that. But it is significant that they're broken into five different books. Right. And I think it can get a little scary when we start talking about editors in the Bible because yep. generally people are like, oh, that you know, that means something was changed from the original what God was speaking. Well, I, I don't think so in, in this case. You can talk about an editor that these the editor came in and somebody decided that Psalm 1 is Psalm 1. And there's good reason for that. Right. right. And it wasn't just, you know— uh, let's just put one first and then two first. Oh, this is the first one we found in the pile. You know, that's kind of like how the New Testament is ordered. Right. They're, like, they're like, let's put the Gospels first. Oh, Acts makes sense. Right. Um, but let's take all the letters of Paul and arrange them by length. And then totally. <laughs> let's put Romans is big. Let's put it first. And Romans is like the last one possibly, you know, right. one of the last ones he wrote. And we're like, well, why is right. this first? Right. Galatians is probably first, but like, probably. it's yeah. like... Like, you know, toward the middle or anyway. And and the Apostle John is angry because he wrote the beginning of his gospel to link to Genesis 1. And he's like, guys, you totally are blowing it here. Like, if you start with mine, it makes a whole lot more sense than Matthew's. But 
Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but the Psalms. Uh, this whole this whole point to say the Psalms was not arranged in 151 poems right. randomly. Like there's there's purpose and intention on why we have book one, why we have book two. Yeah, and so that's the, part of the discussion that scholars are having is what is the point of the five books. Here's, here's one of the most beautiful ways that I've heard it described. And I had a class with uh, Dr. Van Gemmeren who discussed this and a good German man who's spent his entire life studying the Psalms. So I'm going to lift him up here for a second. And then later on when I say I don't, I'm not totally convinced, it's not because I'm better than him. It's just because I'm not totally convinced. It doesn't mean he's wrong. It's just I, I'm not convinced yet. But what he talks about is they're, they're, the five books seem to line up with Torah. So there seems to be something of, and his, his whole point was, Torah, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We did a podcast on the, the Pentateuch, the, the Torah, and the, you know, a long time ago. And those five books are talking about the teachings of God, or we call it the law, right? This idea of this is what God is wanting us to see, wanting us to think, wanting us to do. And Dr. Van Gemmeren said, if you take the five books of the Psalms, they actually do line up a little bit with those five books of Torah, and it becomes the outflow of your heart from each of those books. So... If Genesis is about God cares for us and he loves humanity and he's, he's guiding us in a direction and he, and he wants a personal relationship with us, then Psalms 1 through 41, he makes the case, points out that humanity is important, that there's a value to humanity, and it, it, they're, they're sort of personal reading. If you read Psalm 1 through 41, you're going to notice a lot of those are some of people's favorite psalms. Psalm 1, Psalm 23, mm-hmm. you know, Psalm, the, the, the gospel writers like Psalm 2 and 8 a lot. And so there's a lot of beauty there, and there's this idea here of maybe that lines up with Genesis, and as the story begins, there's this idea of this is what we're supposed to look like and be like in, in book one. Then he makes the case in book two, there's a lot of Psalms that deal with deliverance, which mm-hmm. is beautiful because then that points to possibly linking to the Exodus, right? God is delivering his people out of uh, Egypt and moving them into another land. And there's even celebration hymns in that about Egypt, about being brought out, about deliverance. And so Psalm 1 uh, and the whole first book may be dealing with more humanity, dealing more with uh, you know personal reading and tying to Genesis. Book 2 and Psalms 42 through 47, dealing with deliverance or this idea of, of God is, is going to redeem us. He's going to save us. He's going to guide us in a direction. Then we move into Leviticus, which book 3 deals with God being a sanctuary or a place where we're going to meet with him. Tabernacle is a big part of Leviticus. And so some have pointed out that there's a lot of sanctuary type psalms in book 3. Just sort of, God is my refuge. He's going to take care of me. This is how I meet with him, that sort of thing. And so Psalms 73 through 89, they have sort of a liturgical or historical significance that kind of says maybe book three and Leviticus line up. Then we got a book four, which is Psalms 90 through 106, like I said. And it there's a lot of high praise of God. There's also some really dark moments of rebellion and disappointment, which some have pointed out this really ties maybe to numbers really, really well. This idea that ultimately God is in charge, but the people in numbers are still struggling with whether that's true and they're trying to figure this out. So it's, I think it's a beautiful connection. And then book five has most of the songs of ascent, which are the ones that you would sing on your way up to Jerusalem as you're celebrating, get ready to go to the temple and meet God. That's beautiful. So those 44 Psalms, 107 through 150, seem to link to Deuteronomy, this liturgical uh, right, sort of an idea of this is how we worship, this is what it's supposed to look like. 
and there's some elements of prophetic. There's some elements of the natural uh, being talked about in this this section. And so Dr. Van Gemmeren and others, you know, you can find it all over online. If you type in five books of the Psalms, you can find people that pick up Dr. Van Gemmeren's work and say, this makes a lot of sense. Even when I was taking the class with him, he pointed out, this doesn't fit perfectly. None of it can. And so when I said in the beginning of the podcast, when I'm, I'm not totally convinced because as I read through the Psalms, I see some elements that are very true of this. And then I see somewhere we're like, we're trying to force it too much. And maybe there's more to the story than even any of us could fully understand. And one of the people that I really appreciate uh, years ago mentioned to me, maybe the Psalms are just the heart version of the law. So whereas the law is God sort of dictating to us what he wants us to do and we fail miserably at it, Psalms are the outflow of us realizing that we're not capable of it. And these five books do line up with Torah, but more in a way of where Torah is law, these are the outflow of our our failure and us needing to repent and to come to God. And I think any of those are beautiful or all of them could work together in unison. Yeah. Yeah, that's a That's a lot. Yeah. I like that that kind of puts a little bit more significance to like, this is not just a random, you know, like, Hey, we just threw some things together. Right. Um, but th- there's, there's meaning behind why the books are there. Um, I took a class at Trinity. So same place, but with a different professor, uh, Dennis McGarry. Mm-hmm. And he kind of sees the books as a little similar to um, Chris and I just recently attended a, conference um james hamilton was his name similar to his kind of view uh with the five books being that you know the first couple books are are davidic mostly Mm -hmm. mostly written by david or sung by david and um you know psalms one and two those kind of set the tone for the whole book and that's why they're that at the beginning like hey psalm one and psalm two this is kind of the theme of this whole book collection of poems and songs so then they focus on david's early life there's um the hardship we see the hardship of his early life but then in psalm 2 we see it gets a little bit better there's blessings uh and book two is mostly davidic psalms but then there's a movement historically till we start seeing more psalms of solomon so they're kind of arranged a little bit chronologically uh because book book three kind of moves historically further down the line mostly solomon lots of laments and because that was during the davidic monarchy so you're kind of seeing like psalms written in the early days of david when things were rough for him as he's making his way into kingship but then there's these great psalms and then the later psalms you know in book three are when things are going downhill again uh, but then four and five kind of one, one to three really answers. Who are we? Like, what is our identity? Who are right. we in Christ? And then books four to five answer. Well, what do we do from there? Right. So, uh, starting book four starts in verse or, uh, Psalm 90, mm-hmm. Psalm 89 finishes off with the, like, how long, O Lord, how right. long? And then book or book four starts with the answer to that yeah. problem. Psalm like, 90. Hey, yeah. Well, this is, this is, you know, there's mosaic theme. Yahweh's our refuge. Uh, yeah, so there's there's thoughts about maybe it's the the books are all connected that way too. Um, and he even said in the beginning of the conference, as he started his session, there is so much scholarly debate about the five yeah. books, why they're lined up the way they are. No one disagrees 
that they're definitely Christological in nature. So I should say, as far as Christian scholars go, right? right? The Jewish scholars are like you guys. Yeah, are, they maybe would disagree that they're Christological. Are, although they would point out, yeah, they're messianic. Jew, Jews are very quick to point out these are definitely messianic in nature. A number of them, you know, because the Messiah, you want someone who's walking in the way of the Lord, who's meditating right. on God's word day and night, who is planted by streams of water and growing deep roots as a tree, who is going to you know, shadow over everybody else. That's Psalm 1. And you also want this one who's going to sit on a throne and rule the nations, right, with Psalm 2 and Psalm 8, with this, this iron, you know, uh, scepter, and he's going he's gonna to have ultimate authority. The Jews don't disagree with that being Messiah at all. They just disagree that we think it's Jesus, and they're like, well, that's not the Messiah. But I, I, now that I put my hope and trust in Jesus, I can't not see Jesus in almost all of the Psalms. Yeah. It's just, it's everywhere, all over the place. Right, right. Yeah, and this, this theme is really developed in uh, James Hamilton's upcoming book on the Psalms. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's coming out. It won't be out till later this year, but uh, in the Evangelical Biblical Theology Commentary, which I'm just super excited about this series, which is very, it's, it, there's like six, six volumes out right now, and I'm like, oh, just, this is so cool. They're also expensive because they're new. <laughs> it's but, so cool. They're brand new, and there's 60 more books to go. Let's go, guys. Yeah, Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Pull like, it together. Figure this, figure this out. Uh, <laughs> but this, I'm really excited about this this series, uh, doing biblical theology. I, I'm, I'm a biblical theology nerd, which is, uh, I guess, some people listening might not understand. So, so there's kind of two, not contradictory schools of thought for sure, but just right. two like general areas. And you might've heard of systematic theology right. and biblical theology. I think it's poorly named because it sounds like if you're not doing biblical theology, then you're doing unbiblical theology, right? Which just sounds it, bad. You're like, Hey, let me introduce you to biblical theology. And you're like, well, all my theology comes from the Bible. Oh they, no, 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 they, no. They cornered the market there. Yeah, you know, like yeah. when you're talking to a systematics guy, he's like, well, it's all biblical theology. Like, yeah. okay, you, you're not totally understanding what I'm saying, but yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the idea, I, I think, I think the easiest way that I've understood biblical theology is you're tracing a set of themes or multiple themes throughout the scriptures from the beginning to the end yep. and noticing a consistency in themes, which you'll notice this is part of what we're doing with the podcast this year. Most of the notes from the cutting room floor that we're using are things that are making connections, looping things together, showing you how the Bible's story is just a steady stream leading us to Jesus and then hopeful for his, his return. So whether we're talking about Zechariah or Haggai, or whether we're talking about the Psalms or Torah or any of these things, really what biblical theology is doing is just noticing that there are multiple themes and ideas that God is tracing, hoping <coughs> for us to make the connection all the way through it, which is why we need to meditate on it day and night, right. which is why Psalm 119 keeps saying, I am, I, your word is all that I want. Your word is all that I'm chasing after. Your your word is where I find delight. Your laws are what I'm trying to, to be and to, to live out. And so there's this constant connection or, or conversation in Psalms and all of the three things that we just pointed out, whether it's five books are connected to Torah in that way, or whether it's these are the, the outcrying of our heart as we uh, uh, you know look at the law and obey the law, or whether the first three books are leading us in sort of this you know Christological uh idea of who he is, and then the last couple of books are talking about our response to him. All of those things could be totally true at the exact same time, right. because you're tracing themes that you see in these spots, and you're going, oh, man, that just makes a ton of sense. So I, I'm more of a, uh, I don't know, I try to compile a lot of things together and go, oh, they all work. It's really good. Yeah. It's beautiful. Oh, look, Chris is finding the middle ground, and 
everything. synchronizing <laughs> things together. How surprising. <laughs> I feel like that was a knock against me, but I'll, I'll take it as a compliment. Uh, yeah, there, we there go. you go. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, synchronization in, in the sense of, of the scriptures, we have people that have spent their entire life studying a book. And as they do so, they see amazing, beautiful things. But then you have somebody else across the pond or somewhere else that's, and that's the Atlantic Ocean, by the way. Oh, thanks. Uh, or even, you know, Asian scholars. There's some, there's some beautiful things. Pond. Yeah, there's a different pond. There's some beautiful things coming out of Asia. There's some beautiful things coming out of some of the schools in India and Africa right now. Uh, people are, are seeing things that me as a, as a white 38-year-old American who's never really lived outside of America – you know, there have been portions of time where I live for a week or two outside of the country, but I'm, I'm American through and through. I don't necessarily see things as clearly as perhaps I should. And so one of the things that I love about modern scholarship and where it's heading is it seems like there's a lot of people that are really getting in tune with the ancient world and then making connections and showing us how the scriptures would make sense to an original reader or writer. On the flip side of that, it's nice to hear from other voices, Eastern yeah. or otherwise, Eastern, Southern voices who are pointing things out. And, and some of the things that are coming out of there are, again, they're spending their whole life just studying the Psalms and they're seeing things. I think it's more helpful for us to read all of those things and go, oh, wow, maybe this is deeper than I ever thought it was because God's capable of doing that kind of thing. Yeah, and I think that brings <laughs> us to a point which will jump us to the point where I want to eventually take us that we're all reading Scripture with some bias, yep. like with some bias of understanding. Like we understand the way the world works in a certain way that our brothers and sisters in Christ in other countries and other places and other cultures, they don't see that. Like those types of things aren't as important to them right. uh, or they're just not at the forefront of their mind. You know, for example, you, you know, we've we've sent people and, and we know friends who go to Turkana mm -hmm. in, in Kenya and people will introduce, you know, this is my my only wife. And you're like, I, I don't walk around and say like, hey, I want you to meet my only <laughs> wife. But to them, like to them, it's not a given that. And, and we can right. look at that culture and we can say like, mm -hmm. like, oh, how could they even in their culture even have polygamy? Like that that's so elementary. That's not who, who Christ is. But then, you know, we also have a very consumeristic Christianity mm -hmm. where we're like, oh, the, the coffee wasn't good at church this Sunday. And they sang that song off key, you know, like. Or my favorite, I want a new Bible. Yeah. Oh my yeah. goodness. Yeah. Christ. And then and then you have like, you know, I have personal friends, like not just like, oh, I've heard of a guy, but like personal friends who have avoided uh capture in certain mm -hmm. Southeast Asian countries and used false passports to get to America because they were being persecuted for their mm -hmm. faith. And then they look at us and they're like, Wait a minute, the the you're losing your tax exempt status as a <laughs> church and you're freaking out. Like, this is so elementary to us. And so anyway. All that to Which say. Which we're not, by the way, yeah. but these are possibilities. Yeah, that just that, yeah. That, that conversation has bounced around, I these should are say. The, these are the pastoral conversations we have at conferences and things where we're like, what's what's going to happen when that does or if it does? And then we kind of journey right, down that right, road. Right, right. People are like persecuted. It's right now like, yeah. you know, taxes, uh, clergy taxes are weird. Pastor taxes are totally just super strange. weird. We yeah. have this thing called a called a housing allowance, which is also connected to the fact that we're self-employed when you talk to Social Security, but we're not self-employed. It's just weird. And they're talking about taking away some of those benefits. And people are like, oh, it's persecution on the church. And again, my, my friend is like, I almost died for calling myself a Christian. Uh, you know, <laughs> Apples to apples. Yeah. That's exactly um, what that is. So anyway, that is a point to then jump into i'm making my own jump-ins here i like this. i like it it's good um to when we when we read the psalms there's there's so much beauty in hebrew poetry yes. that i think the american mind myself included i'm putting myself in this box 
we just miss because Hebrew poetry is not like American poetry, right? Like American poetry, I I used to think poetry was dumb. And then I actually took, at a community college, I took an American lit class and we talked about poetry and I was like, hey, this is actually really cool. There's some some interesting stuff here in expression. Uh, But we expressed by rhyming sounds. We expressed by using metaphors. Um, You know, most of American poetry is actually put to music and is mm-hmm. song so like you know take your favorite song that's a poem like it's going to have a rhyming pattern it's going to have rhyming meter it's going to have rhyming song sounds um hebrew poetry uh rhymes in some similar ways but right. also in different ways and hebrew poetry has so many like jokes and words it's very punny hebrew is very punny right and sometimes we miss the puns that are either making a funny point. Like there's so many jokes in Hebrew poetry that we just miss. We're like, Oh, we don't understand that. That's a joke at all. Right. And there's so many like really pointed remarks that are just, they're so pointed that would just strike someone's heart that just go over our heads because we don't understand the, the pun going on there. Right. Or as we translate, we lose so much. Right. So like the, the word for man in Hebrew is Adam and the, the, the word for ground is Adama. And so those two things, the Hebrew poets and the prophets, which people are starting to get hopefully used to a little bit of, of Hebrew poetry because we've had a ton of prophecy, you know, the last, most of that, if you didn't notice, was poetry. But as we move into the poets uh, here in the writings is what we call this this section of, of the Hebrew scriptures. So Psalms moving through, you know, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, books like that. You're going to notice uh, things that might say like man and ground, a couple lines from each other. Well, if you're reading that in Hebrew, those two words are being played on each other and we just don't even see it because we're, you know, we're English readers and we, we, we kind of miss it. Uh, but the scriptures are full of that kind of thing. And so it's so cool, you know, to dive into it and to, to kind of dig and to spend a little time. So uh, I think my encouragement to you all is as you're reading the writings here, starting with Psalms, you just take some time to yeah. really process. Don't try to get your reading done super fast. You know, maybe read Psalm one and then pause for a little bit. And think about it and then move to Psalm 2 and then pause for a little bit and think about it and, and go through them that way. I think you'll find more beauty in them even just starting there. Right, right. Get some tools if you can get some tools to help you understand it. But even if you can't, I think like what Chris is saying, um, you know, let it let it slow burn because I'm just I'm pulling up our our reading plan right now to think through like how many Psalms do we are we going to be reading in a day? There's some days where it's four or five. Uh, Psalm one nineteen is one day. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Well, no, it it in my opinion it should be two. Right. <laughs> it's Psalm one I the first time I read Psalm one eighteen, it took me fifteen minutes just to read through the thing straight through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll do four or five in a day. Sometimes we'll we'll do seven or eight, depending on on the day and depending on what we're trying to do. Yeah. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, if you if you're looking at like oh here we go like for example on day one eighty six on July fifth you will read. Psalm 40 through 45, that's six psalms. Mm-hmm. It would be very easy to be like, I got six psalms to do. I'm going to bust out six psalms. Um, slow burn that. Like, mm-hmm. it, at least take one of them and really meditate on them because there's so so much in there that, especially when we're reading translated poetry, it's easy just to blow past. Yep. But there's a lot in there. There's a lot of good stuff in poetry. That's good. And And once we're done with this reading plan this year, you know, I often... Uh, do devotional reading where I just read a psalm a day and I, I sit and process it all day long. 
And so I've done that three or four times in my, my walk with Jesus up to now. So it'll take me, you know, 150 days to work through the Psalms. And I just go one a day. I've even broken Psalm 119 into eight verse segments uh, because, you know, it's a huge acrostic. Yeah. Aleph is eight verses, Beit is eight verses, Gimel is eight verses, and so on and so forth. So you take those eight times 22 letters of the alphabet, you have 176 verses. So if you see Psalm 119 in Hebrew, we've both seen it. It's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. In English, it's just not as yeah. beautiful. Well, and I mean, and that's even one of those like little things that you can miss. Like it's an acrostic meaning that every line in the original Hebrew starts with the same letter. And it's as if to say, like the message of Psalm 119, we are exhausting everything there is to say about who God is. Like it's it's not actually saying, it's not saying like, oh, this is the last thing you right. can ever say about these, but it's saying there we are going to talk about how great God is. He's so great that we're going to go through every letter and remind you how great God is. And we're not just going to do it one time for every letter. We are going to do it an exhaustingly amount of, of times in each letter just to say like, Listen, this this God that we're talking about just exhausts everything. Like right. everything is completely filled up in him. Uh, you know, little things like that in, in yeah. Hebrew poetry that can really open up the the meaning or the understanding or the heart. You know, because poetry should connect more to our hearts than our heads. Totally. It should connect to our heads too, but it should connect to our hearts. Amen. So that's the Psalms. We're getting ready to dive in, and we've given you a bunch of head knowledge of Psalms. Now take all that and don't think too much about it. Just read Just go read it. Process. Let it dig into your heart and change your life. Do it. Do it.